It's 2 Corinthians 8, is that correct? And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more... He was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer the liberal gift, for we are taking, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often provided to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Lord, we just thank you for this word and thank you for uh, Nigel and we thank you uh, for what he's prepared. Uh, We just pray we hear from you now. Amen. Great. Thank you ever so much, Scott. It's really good to be here again. It's so good to be together and to worship God together. We're looking at this church through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and uh, we've arrived chapter 8 today. And this is about the grace of giving, the grace of giving. Just a very quick recap, Paul planted the church in Corinth, or God used Paul to see that church established. And it was a tough place. Uh, Culture wasn't particularly welcoming to the gospel. 
Uh, we've looked at uh, some of the things that they valued and how that was a challenge to the gospel message. It was a tough place, but the church was established over an 18-month period. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 18. But then as time goes on, Paul seems to have a bit of a difficult relationship with the church. He's challenged them. He seems to have written at least one seemingly harsh letter to them. Uh, Some in the church have, have disrespected him. They've not respected his leadership. They've rejected him. And he feels they've closed their hearts to him, who was a spiritual father to the church. But in this letter, it's quite personal. And he opens his heart to them, and uh, he wants to draw them back into good relationship with him. But more importantly, he wants them to be in good relationship with the Lord and growing in their love and faith in Jesus. Chapters 8 and 9, the theme is giving. So it's always a good subject, isn't it? Always very popular. I can see the smiles on your faces now. Yes, a message on giving. It's wonderful. A little bit more background before we move on. Uh, Paul's come from Jerusalem, and that was the original Jewish background church. And he's traveled through what we call in these days Turkey and Greece. And uh, he knows that the believers back in Jerusalem are suffering because of famine. And so as he goes around these non-Jewish, largely Gentile churches, he wants to take an offering for those that are suffering back in Jerusalem. And that's a great thing to do. And the heart of the Christian faith is about sharing with those in need. It's crucial and central to the message of Jesus. But it's also, I think, a sign of solidarity. So just as the Jewish church said, yes, spread the gospel, and you don't have to make the Gentile Christians conform to our Jewish laws. It's a sign of solidarity that having released them to preach the gospel in the Gentile areas, the Gentiles are gathering funds to meet the needs of the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. So that's a wonderful thing. So giving and money, is money a purely practical issue or is it a spiritual issue as well? What do you think? Practical issue? Yep. So thank you, Eleanor. Money's a purely practical issue. and there's no... You put your hand up for spiritual. Okay, first hands up was practical. Spiritual issue? Anyone want to join Eleanor? It's a deeply spiritual issue, isn't it? I think how we give uh, and how we use our money can be a real test of our relationship with God and how we're doing spiritually. Jesus said you can't serve God and money or mammon, the God of money. You can't have two masters, Matthew six twenty-four. You can't have your heart set on getting money and gaining wealth and making that your focus and also have your heart really open to the Lord. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. And I love Proverbs 21, 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Some people are greedy for more. We're aware of that. It's all around us. But the godly, those that are modeling themselves on Jesus and following God, they love to give. And that's fantastic. And we all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, gave his one and only son so that we should not perish but have everlasting life. We're most like God when we give. God's nature is to be a giver and we're like God when we've got that open-handedness, open-heartedness, and we give. 
And as we follow God, as we're disciples of Jesus, and as we conform to God's character, we should expect to grow in our desire to give. So if we're getting more like Jesus, then we're people that are getting generous and learning to give. And at this church, we want to encourage you to follow Jesus as hard as you can, to be a disciple of Jesus. So we're expecting to see a growth and a, in a desire to give as that reflects God's character. Someone said if we're really converted, then our bank accounts are also converted. So if we say we're converted and they're not, there's uh, an issue there. Anyone want to be blessed by God? Anyone here want to be blessed by God? Yes, there's two hands up at the back. What did Jesus say? It's more blessed to than... Where's that in the Bible? Sorry, louder. Matthew, any advance on Matthew? Matthew 5, any advance on that? It actually didn't make it into the Gospels. That's why I was asking you that question. Acts 20, verse 35. It's not recorded in the Gospels, but it's repeated by Paul in the book of Acts. So you want to be blessed by God, it's even more blessed. You'd love getting a really good, thoughtful, loving gift that's wonderful. Giving to others is even more blessed than that. I want to do a quick uh, cultural perspective. And I think there's two extremes around. One is a poverty spirit. And the other is prosperity theology that's taught at some churches. And those are two extremes. And in the poverty spirit, we're just kind of, yeah, we're like the church mouse. Uh, and we, we're holding on to the little bit we've got. And we don't really trust in God. We're trying to get through. And we're worried about every penny. And we're not really believing for great things and great provision from God. So when it comes to the offering... We kind of put a little bit of loose change in and, you know, I don't want to put myself at risk financially. I'll spare uh, a few pence in the offering. And there's, uh, uh, there's just a tiny amount in the church. That kind of poverty spirit, not trusting in God, is something that you do see in Christianity and in, in the church. I'd have a church uh, where they did an offering and they invited one of the leaders to come up the front to pray for the offering. And they had these lovely silver plates so that they had four deacons and they passed the silver plates around the congregation. And this guy was waiting to pray over the offering at the front. And they came up to the front and he looked down and there wasn't any money in any of the offering plates. And he prayed this prayer. He prayed, Lord, I thank you for the safe return of those plates. But hopefully we haven't got a poverty spirit and a poverty mentality here. Prosperity theology is this kind of idea, if you give loads to God, then God will bless you. God will make you rich and prosperous. And churches that, that do that, often there's a big emphasis on giving. Uh, uh, Scott gave kind of five minutes, five minutes for the notices. There'd be like ten minutes just for the notice about giving. And you might get three offerings in the same service. How would you like that? Three times you can come up and give, you can queue up, and, and then 10 minutes later, we need another offering for more. And give as much as you can because if you give, God will bless you. I think that's starting to. A lot of people go to churches like that, and it's really it's infecting the Christian community, but I think it's also putting people off, and it's wrong. And the main thing you get is a few rich pastors that are very charismatic and encourage people to give in that way. So we don't want 
either a poverty spirit or prosperity theology. And one little phrase I want to say is you don't give to get, you get to give. You don't give to get, you get to give. You don't give with the motive of, if I give, then I'm going to be rich, so I want to give to do that. You get stuff, you earn money, you work hard in order to give. And I think God honors that. The more you give, the more I think you'll get to give. Because you'll give, and you'll get some more, and you'll give that. And I think God especially arranges for people that love giving to get blessed and to get more so they can give more. So you don't give in order to get But you get, you receive to give, and then when you give, you get more, and you can give again. And when you give, you get more, and you can give again. And that's how it works, and God really, really loves that, and he's honored by that. God provides for us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And that's what we want to see in our church. Money too tight to mention? Anyone feeling kind of really squeeze, money's too tight to mention. Uh, Things aren't always easy. It's not there's too much money at the end of the month, but there's too much month at the end of the money, and things are hard. And they can be very difficult, and things can be very tight. But one thing, I've never found that the reason for things being tight for me financially is because I give too much. You can feel tight, and you think, you know, am I giving too much to God? Is that why things are hard financially? I've never found that's the reason that money's too tight to mention because I'm giving too much to God. It doesn't actually work like that in the kingdom. And just thinking a bit about church finances, obviously we give together and those monies are, are collected. And we can't, as a church, give away money we haven't got. If you don't give, there isn't money to give away. But you can be aware that maybe people move on and their giving goes elsewhere. By the way, if you do move on, you're welcome to still give here, but it may go elsewhere. People lose their jobs, and you can see money's going to go down. People have lost their jobs. They've moved on. Money's going to go down. And then you think, well, should we therefore make cutbacks? You know, some people have moved on. Less income's coming in. Should we make cutbacks? And what I've learned over the years is not to just do that. I've said, let's press pause. Let's keep on giving to everyone we're still giving to, even though we we know some people are going to stop giving or they've lost their jobs and they can't give. And time and time and time again, as we've chosen to be generous and chosen to keep giving to those needs, the money's come in to support that giving. And it's a real testimony of how it works in the kingdom. Somebody let's be responsible, let's cut back. But actually, that those needs haven't gone away. Those ministries shouldn't close down. Even though it looks a bit bleak, let's keep on doing it. Let's keep on financing it. And then amazingly, new people join or the money comes in and those things are able to continue. And that's a really important principle. Or maybe someone feels called to preach the gospel in Timbuktu and you want to support them. And you think, well, all our money's committed. We're spending, it's all spent, it's all committed. But God's calling them to that. Let's get behind them. And then more money comes in, and you can do that. And it's really, really wonderful. I want to look at Macedonian giving. 
Uh, I'm really glad Scott read the passage out. I just want us to read through these first few verses of uh, the chapter again. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And this chapter starts with a shining example of giving. Paul's come out of what modern day is called Turkey. He's come into northern Greece and he's seen churches start in the Macedonian area of Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea. And those churches have been very generous in giving. That's one of the ways they've responded to the gospel. And I feel there's something in that that I want to affirm to us as a church today. And I want to echo a big well done for your giving and your generosity. And uh, at the Hiff Good Office, in Jenny's absence, Dragoner tries to keep me and Sam and Stevie in order. And uh, we were talking about this passage for today, early in the week. And Dragoner said, tell them well done. Tell them they're a church that has learnt the grace of giving. Thank them for all their giving. Make sure you don't nag them about giving. Make sure you tell them well done for their generosity. So thank you, Dragoner. And she's not here today. But just thinking back to this year, 2018, uh, Ashburnham, we went away as a church for a weekend away. Obviously, there are some expenses in that, and some people weren't able to afford to go. But others in this church paid more than their needs so other people could join and be blessed in that weekend. So that happened at the beginning of the year in February. Uh, I had a naughty birthday earlier this year, and I was just expecting a kind of quick happy birthday on Sunday morning, and uh, I didn't come for set-up, they wouldn't let me, and there were always balloons and cakes and gifts that you'd given. And uh, the week before last, Yvonne and I went away to the Christian guest house in Bournemouth that you'd contributed towards as part of my birthday present. I wasn't expecting it at all, but another sign of your wonderful generosity. Sam Spatical. Was that good? I think, did you say something like, oh my days, because the church, pardon? Several times, just because as a church, we bless Sam with sabbatical and a gift while he was away. I think of the gift days, once a year we have a couple of gift days, and money flowed in. You've been generous again this year. Uh, the INET Missions Conference, so we, our missionaries come back once a year from different parts of the world. We pay for them to go to a week's conference. And I get letters and emails. I don't read out uh, maybe because uh, there isn't time. But thanking you for your giving so that our missionaries could enjoy that conference. And then this summer, summer 18, was that great? We sent people to China and India. And you gave money, uh, but you also did things. You baked cakes and ran made gifts to sell and did concerts and worked really hard and gave a load so that the team could go to China and India. And there's been some hidden one-off gifts, uh, really generous gifts that have been given anonymously. Hannah Bromley, have you forgotten about her already? She's given up work to spend a year helping this school in Zimbabwe and she's obviously not earning money this year and you've given to support that. 
And even last week, remember Diana popped up with no kind of preparation, said, I'm going to Thailand to educate these people in this really poor area. If you'd like to give a gift towards the materials we need, please do. I think at least £400 has come in uh, in the last week without any preparation. So there's a grace in giving and a generosity here. It's not that if Paul was coming by, he'd say, look, those other churches give and you're rubbish. I think Paul would say, well done, because you're learning the grace of giving, and there is a generous heart in this church. Maybe we're not quite Macedonian, because it did say they were in severe trial and extreme poverty, and their joy and generosity welled up. Maybe we're not, we can't quite claim that, but I think there is a really generous and honoring heart towards God here, and I want to affirm that. Um, But before we move on, I think, have you noticed sometimes the poorest people are the most generous? Have you noticed that? The poorest people, they kind of give everything. And it's such a blessing. I remember doing a mission trip to Nigeria. We're going to a poor part of Nigeria. Obviously, we're not expecting that they can pay and support us. And the, the village church we went to was by far the poorest church we visited and they're the one church that wanted to give us a gift for coming. We were like, no, we don't expect anything. The poorest church was the one that wanted to give to us. And so poverty doesn't stop giving. Poverty can well up in generosity as well. And the church, I think they gave us two sacks of ground nuts. So we had these two big sacks of ground nuts and some vegetables and a live chicken. So tuck the chicken under the arm picked up the bags of ground nuts and got back in the minibus and uh, we had fresh chicken the next day. We were blessed. Now, Sam over there, uh, some of you may know, he's a bit of a Greek geek. So he, he's got a bit more New Testament Greek than I have. I've got, I've got virtually nothing, but he's got a bit more. And he said in the office, grace is the key word in today's passage. And so he put me onto this. So you can blame him if you don't like it, or you can blame me um, if you do and give him all the credit. And seven times in this one chapter, the word grace is there. And sometimes when you translate the Bible, you don't always, the same word isn't translated with the same word in English. So you might put a different word in just for a kind of flow of meaning, a bit of variety. But when you look at the Greek, you see what the original words are or the roots of the original words. And grace is a really, really key theme in here. You may not read it in your English version, but it says these things. It says that the grace of God led to the generous giving. In verse 4, receive grace and so share in giving to your fellow Christians. In verse 6, complete the act of grace by giving the generous gift to those in need. Verse 7, excel in the grace of giving. Verse 9, the grace of God in the gift of Jesus, becoming poor to make us rich. Verse 16, let's graciously thank God for giving Titus loving concern for you. And verse 19, traveling to deliver this gracious gift. So... You might not see it in your English translations. There might be other words. But grace is the ribbon running through this text here. It runs through the entire teaching. So it's not about being complacent about giving. 
not bothering to give. And it's not about gritting your teeth and forcing yourself to give. It's about God's grace at work. And God graciously inspires and enables us to give. God graciously inspires and enables us to give. So what does grace mean? By the way, it's a a version of the three graces in the corner, if you wanted a link there. What's grace mean? Unmerited favor. Yeah, that's a very good biblical definition. Any other? Undeserved gifts. That's uh, the classic acrostic. I'm not sure the Bible actually ever teaches it as an acrostic, but a lot of people see real purpose that God's riches are overflowing to us and Jesus has paid the price. Uh, looking at the words, there's lots of aspects to it. Obviously, there's, there's poise and someone that's graceful is effortless. Um, I'm just imagining Sam Corrie on Strictly and I'm not sure poise and effortlessness would be part of his performance but uh, it's about favor it's about generosity blessing kindness thankfulness it's to beautify there's a thoughtfulness in grace there's an approval there's a respect offered to people there's respite and ease in grace and it's about giving a gift and it's about imparting an ability So there's lots about grace there. It's a wonderful thing. And isn't it good that God's not just beating you over the head to say give more? And he's not saying just be mean, don't give anything. He's saying let my grace work in your hearts and lives, transforming you into generous givers and you'll be blessed even more than the people you give to will be blessed. My little attempt at defining it gives two aspects, God's favor and blessing towards us. So we're receiving something from God. His favor and blessing is towards us. And it's a God-given ability to do something good, right, generous, and beautiful. And that's our giving. It's not about the money. It's not about the bottom line. It's not about you must do this or you must sign that. It's grace-filled, grace-enabled, and God's giving us the ability to do something good, right, generous, and beautiful. And our giving is an evidence of that. So finally, I want to look at a few aspects just from this chapter. I don't want to steal Sam's thunder from next week because we're looking at chapter 9 next week. But a few things about grace-filled giving from this chapter. And then we'll finish and worship and pray. Firstly, grace-filled giving is joyful. Isn't it great to give? Do you feel a joy and a happiness to give? The Macedonian churches, as well as giving out of their severe trial and extreme poverty, they gave out of overflowing joy. Overflowing joy. The next week in 2 Corinthians 9, we'll learn that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Sam can preach on that next week. So don't be a miser. Be a giver. Don't be miserable. Be happy. Give freely to others and to God, and it will be absolutely wonderful. Secondly, grace-filled giving is generous. Verse 2 talks about a rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and beyond. There's a real generosity. 
And obviously, I don't think the Bible teaches that you need to borrow money and get into debt to honor God and be generous. But sometimes you can feel, I'm just going to give more than I think I should away. I feel inspired to do that. I feel led to do that. And you just do it, even if you can't afford it. That could be a sign that you're putting your faith in God and you're just loving being generous. And I think if you do do that as God leads you, God will provide for you and God will fulfill your needs. I know people have given away the money they needed to eat for the weekend and someone else has given them money and they haven't been left short at all, but they were motivated to give it away. And Friday I was down at food bank and just such a grace of giving and generosity there. Just thinking of, um, it was a while ago, it wasn't actually this Friday, that someone, an Ocado van turns up at food bank, someone's done a thousand pounds shop on the internet and it's arrived. I don't know how much money they've got, whether that was a massive thing or whether they're very rich, but a thousand pounds shop arrives from Ocado because one person wants to give to food bank. And thinking about the project, we needed uh, £3,000 to set the project up in the first place, otherwise it wouldn't have been viable. And someone I know gave that money. It's not someone that was particularly rich or has loads of money or a big income, but someone just generously gave £3,000. And now six years later, we're feeding thousands of people and giving away more than a tonne of food a week. So grace-filled giving is generous. Grace-filled giving is a sign of solidarity. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They wanted to show their solidarity with fellow Christians. I remember when uh, Catford's community church started, uh, a number of them were with us in Forest Hill, and they went to start Catford. And another local church gave them £1,000. And that church was smaller than they were, a church of about 20 or 30 people, also in Catford. Rather than saying, you'll be a rival to us, we don't want you around the corner. They said, welcome, and here's £1,000. It's wonderful to have that kind of solidarity with the saints. I know King's Church in Catford as well, uh, a number of years ago, they were trying to raise half a million pounds for a building project. And uh, we didn't have masses of money, but as a church, we gave them 500 pounds towards that appeal. And then Pastor Steve showed me the step that we'd bought as part of his (laughs) half a million pound building project. But that wonderful solidarity between Christians uh, is there in this passage, and it's a wonderful thing. It's also a sign of dedication to God. Grace-filled giving is a sign of dedication to God. Verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And if we've just given a little corner of our lives to God, then we might think, well, he's got a corner of my life. Should I give him a bit of money as well? But if we've given our whole lives to God because Jesus gave his whole life for us, then he's got our money as well. So they gave themselves to God. They gave their whole lives to God and their money came along with it. But thinking of giving our whole lives, obviously the, the theme of today is very much an emphasis on money. But I think there are, there are three T's of giving. Three T's of giving. The first is treasure, so it is about money. The second is talents. And the third is time. 
and there's a strong emphasis on the money in this passage, but give your treasure to God, give your talents to be used by God, that's a wonderful gift and offering as well, and give your time, lots of people feel time poor, and if you can give people an hour, that makes such a difference to them, and that's very valued in our society. So it's a sign of dedication to God. It's something to be excelled in. How many of you want to really excel in giving? I'd love to give and give and give. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to excel in? Lots of people want to excel in their singing or their playing ability or other things or their public speaking. But isn't it great to want to excel in giving? I've known people that take giving really seriously. They're the first to look at their income work out 10% and make regular giving uh, of 10% to the work of God through the church. I've known people that have retired and got a lump sum. And rather than thinking, Barbados, here I come, their first thought was, I've got this lump sum. I want to give, say, 10 or 15% of it to Christian charities or the church because I want to excel in the grace of giving. And people get an inheritance and rather than kind of working out what to do, think, I want to tie that to the work of God first and then work out what to do with the rest. So people I know are wanting to excel in the grace of giving, and it's a wonderful thing to aspire to. We run out of time, but it's inspired by Jesus, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We're saved, we have eternal life, we have a relationship with God as Father, we're provided for in life, we have the gifts of God's Spirit, we have fellowship in the Holy Spirit, we have a solidarity with a worldwide family on the basis of Jesus giving his all for us. Living in poverty, dying in pain on the cross, giving his all for us, and that should inspire a real spirit of giving among us. Giving, grace-filled giving is never an empty promise. Verses 10 and 11, last year we were the first not only to give but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. So never say, I do want to give everything to God and then do nothing when you leave the building. Grace-filled giving delivers on its promises. There are vows talked about in the Bible. That's really important if you make a vow to God to fulfill that vow. And just in life, I've known a lot of people, particularly people uh, with alcoholic dads, and then the dad's gone off, and these kids are promised his presence or gifts from him, and time and time and time again, the alcoholic dad doesn't deliver. He arranges to see them. He's not there. He says he'll give them things. He doesn't do it. And we want our giving to be delivered. And Paul wanted this gift to be honored and to be given. So grace-filled giving is never an empty promise. Grace-filled giving is concerned with sharing and equality. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there may be equality. Your plenty at the present time will supply their need and in the future their plenty can supply your needs. The goal is equality. And it's great not to think of am I okay, me and my thing, but 
how can I share with others? It'd be great to raise others up and not just give a little bit of my excess, but to say, as a church, we've got so much we could give to others individually. I could support other people, and that's how giving works. And the theology of work is about getting wealth, but not to accumulate wealth for myself, but to disseminate wealth amongst others. Someone said this, when those who have more than enough give to those who have too little, two problems are solved. It's not healthy spiritually to have loads for yourself and shut your heart to others. And it's not good to not have enough. If those that got too much give to those that got too little, they're both blessed. It's not impoverishing one to help the other. They're both blessed. And then finally, Gracefield Given is managed and administered with integrity. If you read the last few verses, they're gathering the gift together. And there's a whole range of people that are traveling with it. And it's really important when people give that there's integrity in it. It's not that there's a couple of apostles and they take half the money for themselves and only pass on half the gift. Paul was very clear that it had to be open and managed and accountable. And that's true, I think, in church finances. We, a couple of people go out to count the offering, not just one. And we have a, an independent bookkeeper and all our accounts. You can see them at Companies House online. And we have independent verification from outside auditors of what we do. And that's really important because grace-filled giving should be managed and administered with integrity. There's more next week. Sam's going to inspire us with more next week, but I think I've said enough for today. So let's ask God's grace to enable our giving, and let's have hearts that are willing to give to him. And let's finish maybe with some worship and prayer, if that's okay, Sam and Scott and others. Thank you.